Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. This is episode 149. I'm Kieran Lefebvre and I'm Kieran Lefebvre and I'm joined by, <laughs> I can't even say my name right, that's awkward, and I'm joined by Adam Childs, black belt, Adam, gym owner. Adam Childs, Adam Children. Adam children. with Ch- children. Yeah. Yes. Adam's child. Adam Childs, Kieran, what is up my man? We are back, Yo. episode 149. Looking forward to it. You've just got back from a little bit of holidays. Yeah, holiday, I suppose. I mean, shit. I was in Austria and then we went to Poland because I'm currently living in Sweden, for those that don't know. So it was a very short flight, two-hour flight uh, there and back sort of thing. And I took my laptop with me, so I was doing a bit of work on the way. So it was a holiday-ish, I suppose. What was the reason for the trip if it wasn't a holiday? Yeah, it's a bit of a holiday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just wanted to work remotely. You know, it wasn't a holiday. It was a work trip. No, I was definitely <laughs> doing more holidaying than working, but I was trying to get shit done, you know, uh, in the mornings and of an evening, you know, before and after holidaying. But, uh, yeah. Did you... Uh, train while you're away like did you take the opportunity <laughs> no. <laughs> no. well no i was just wondering if you took the opportunity to perhaps you know because no. your where you're currently are in sweden is quite rural i guess like yep. it's not you know it's not super close to any big cities with you know an excess amount of gyms so i just wasn't sure if you perhaps took the chance to to find another gym but no, no, I didn't. I didn't bring anything. I was really strapped for um, how much space we had. We flew. We flew with Ryanair, so we had carry on only. There, uh, we don't. Do we have Ryanair in Australia? No, we don't know. They're no, like they're a European low, a low, a low budget airline. Yeah, right? yeah, they're a budget airline, and I mean they're fucking budget, bro. Like <laughs> the seats are, they don't go back um, at all. They're really, really thin and like super uncomfortable. Everything's super light on the plane so they can reduce the cost, like reduce fuel and everything like that. Uh, yeah. They cram as many people in as they can. Uh, like if, if you just get the basic ticket, you only get like, you don't get any luggage or any carry-on. You only get a personal item. So I don't know. You, you, would, you would only use the basic ticket for like, uh, I don't know, business flight there and back in one day. But they're yeah, super, yeah. super cheap. And I mean, for a flight that's less than two hours or around that two hours, it's totally fine. I wouldn't do any more than three hours on Ryanair. It would be super uncomfortable. But it, yeah, like, it reminded me of this joke of this comedian who, um, I don't know if he's still around as in like, I don't know. It's not, he's not one of the current comedians where you're seeing Netflix specials of him. But I used to listen to him a lot. His name's Mike Babiglia. And um, I believe it was him who made this joke. And it was something along the lines of, you know, like low-cost airlines and, I don't know, he's, he's an American guy. It's like, you know, and then they, on the announcement, they're like, thanks for choosing United Airlines. And he's like, choosing United Airlines? He's like, motherfucker, if it was $10 cheaper, I would have flown on a kite. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah um, I mean, I guess you can only expect so much from... From low-budget airlines, can't you? Nah, it's totally fine. It makes it like uh, feasible, the fact that flights are $100 for two people return to fucking Poland or wherever. And from Australia, that's like crazy. That you gets you nowhere. Thousands. $100 gets you nowhere in Australia. Like, uh, yeah, Ryanair's good in that sense. Budget airline, but you know, it, it's it's totally fine. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you, you go to check in and you got your rashy and it puts you overweight. And you're like, ah, oh, damn. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. My bag was like just underweight. It, I think our limit for carry-ons ten kilos, which is about which is twenty-two pounds for freedom units, and my bag weighed in at nine point eight kilos. So yeah, right. <laughs> um, I want to ask before we get stuck into what we're talking about today. So I guess this is more for people watching the video version. Kieran, what do you reckon this this liquid is that I'm drinking? For for those just listening, it's like a, a brown goldenish hue liquid. Looks like piss. Uh, for those just <laughs> yeah. listening, um, looks like Adam's drinking piss. I want to say that's like. And Kieran's like, I've known Adam for a long time. It is definitely piss. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit! Uh, fuck. I I mean, the easy guess would be apple juice, but. Because you're asking me and you brought it up, I'm going to think that it's some sort of supplement maybe. What is it? Bro, this is a national treasure. Not an Australian national treasure. Brazilian national treasure. Have you seen these cans before? No. So anyone, uh, and Brazilians will know 100%, but this is Guarana. It's essentially, um, it's essentially like the... I mean, Brazil has Coke, right? Like it's a soft drink or a soda or pop, whatever you want to call it. But um, it's, I don't know what to compare it to in terms of, yeah, but I guess it would be like, it's the main soft drink in Brazil, right? The same way that Coke is, well, I guess the main soft drink everywhere else in the world. (laughs) And I guess probably realistically is in Brazil as well, but it's, um, yeah, it's a Brazilian soft drink and, we found my wife who, for those who don't know, is Brazilian. And for those who don't know, I lived in Brazil for, for five years. Uh, my wife found here like an online Brazilian shop where you can buy a bunch and like, like a bunch of Brazilian foods. And for anyone who lives in a different country than the country they're from would know that like you tend to miss foods from back home and whatever. So, you know, that's why, that's why those little supermarkets exist that have like, you know, internationals. Yeah. Yeah. International food items and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, she bought a whole, um, not like a whole case, if you will, like a slab or whatever of of Guadana cans just this week. And, you know, you've been able to get it in Australia for quite some time, but you usually have to go to like a Brazilian cafe or a Brazilian restaurant or the odd random store that sells it. So we got this whole slab of them in the fridge and I was like, man, good old Brazilian Guarana. It's, yeah, it's yeah. literally, it's, in terms of it being a treasure in Brazil, it's up there with like acai and stuff, bro. It's wow, the, that's high praise, damn. Yeah. But it's but it's definitely a soft drink, right? Like, which I don't yeah. typically drink, but I'll I'll throw these back and reminisce. Yeah. But, um, if you're not someone who's who likes soft drink at all, you'd have zero interest in it. And even if right. you like soft drink, you still might not, might not like it. But <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, so my I I can relate what you mean, like when you're living in another country and it's it's hard to get certain foods from that country. Like my wife is Swedish when we're in Australia. Uh, she's found a, she's found a store that has Swedish stuff that she likes to go to. It's called Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I was wondering if you were lining up that joke. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Like Ikea, you know, that, that food, food section at the end of Ikea yeah, yeah, where, yeah, where the checkout yeah. is that actually has Swedish food. It actually has like proper Swedish chocolate, Swedish yeah, is there, food, meatballs she, and stuff like that. And, and we go there probably, she begs me to, to take it to Ikea like, 
you know, once all the time, but like we probably go once every couple months just so she can buy Swedish food. Does, I don't know if this is actually Swedish, but they definitely sell it at Ikea. Um, the chocolate, uh, it's like a crunchy caramelly. It's called Dame, D-A-I-M. Yep. It's my favorite. That shit is the goods, yep. bro. It's my oh favorite. My Dime that's, is legit, bro. Yep. That's so good. But, but, so last time we went to Ikea, we went there like for regular people reasons, furniture and stuff, not just for... Not just for food. Well, I know a lot of people who go to Ikea just for food. It's like a lot of people go to Costco just for to eat the food and eat the free samples and shit. Gross. But we bought, so so what's the correct way to pronounce it? Dime. Did, dime, okay. Yeah. Um, so that dime chocolate, I, I don't know. I assume in Sweden there's lots of different um, chocolate bars of it, but there's one at a shop near, near the gym that's like a long rectangle. And that's like the really good one. But then we bought from Ikea. It was like a big bag of like the mini sort of like mini dimes, fun yep. size or Halloween yeah. candy size. But they were yeah. different. Not as in like, oh, different chocolate. But it was just like, nah, this ain't cutting it, man. I need that yeah. rectangle one, you know. It doesn't yeah, matter. The big, I could eat 20 of the little ones. But they were yeah. just... Not quite the same. It felt like the proportions were off. You got to get Marabu uh, dime as well. Like, so there's... a uh, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing the the name of the the brand, but the Swedish brand, um, Marabu Marabo, or whatever however the fuck you say it, it is it is really good. It's up there with Cadbury. Um, it's it's really good, and they do a dime uh, version of like a chocolate bar. It's it's good, man. It's really good. Man, so try that next so time. Good. Try that next time. So For my any listeners who are sitting here being like Hershey's is the best, you suck. Hershey's, Hershey's is terrible. Disgusting, bro. It tastes Hershey's like is chalk. Like, like Hershey, the, like even Americans don't like Hershey. It's yeah, fucking it's terrible, bad, bro. terrible. It's so bad. European yeah. chocolate is so much fucking better. But yeah, yeah dude, dime. I'm, I'm I'm glad that you um you tried dime. My my wife and her her mother um make dime panna cotta, and it's fucking good. Oh man. my god! With whipped cream on top and like dime sprinkled and oh, it's like a running joke that oh. I'm like a massive fan of dime. Man, I wish I had a friend who was coming back from Sweden at some stage and could bring me some dime. That'd be so cool. Man, <laughs> if I forget, I'll just duck over to Ikea. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Straight yeah, yeah. from Sweden, bro. That wouldn't be wrong. Uh, and it's funny, they don't call, they don't pronounce Ikea like, you know, in the Western the Western world. It is the Western. How do they like pronounce it? Ikea. Ikea. Yeah. yeah but, Same shit. Yeah. That's all well and good. But I, I actually... As someone who speaks two languages, I find it really like odd when people pronounce the, you know, they're like, oh, this is a, this is a French word. So even though I'm speaking it in, even though I'm speaking English, I'll use the French, French pronunciation. That yeah. for me is, I mean, names are slightly different. Like the name of a person I feel, cause it's. it's oh, I butcher everyone's name right? here, dude. No, 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 that's, a, <laughs> no, but that's fine. It's it's not uh, like you could pronounce it correctly and you're choosing to use an English pronunciation, right? Like, well, the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my, my mate here, um, but imagine name- just having, imagine just having a full redneck bogan being like, ah, bro, let's get out of the server, buy a croissant. 
just call it a croissant man fuck yeah no I, I get you but names is a funny one so uh i got a mate his name's um martin and i pronounce it like the the english way martin but they he he pronounces it and everyone uh in swedish pronounces it like mart like martin it's like I, actually no you know what yeah. i can't pronounce it but it's yeah, like yeah. It, it's basically the same name but with a, like a, uh, an accent but there are some names in swedish that like if you pronounce it the English way, you're butchering it. And the common one is Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S. It's pronounced mm-hmm. Andesh. But like right. when people are talking to me about an Andesh and our, our jiu-jitsu coach, the head coach, his name is Andesh. Um, when people are talking about him to me, they'll say Anders. And I'm like, I know you're talking about Andesh. Why are you saying Anders? But it's, it's like completely <laughs> different. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's a completely different pronunciation. So... But I do have to tell you about this. I, I know you probably, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but in Swedish, to say, particularly up north, to say yes in Swedish, in, in some dialects, um, you can say yes by breathing in and going. Now, I've seen video, you didn't tell me about this, but it's funny you mentioned that because I've seen videos on this. Yeah. Like, so yeah. the further north you go, the like, from what I understand, the further north you go, the more prevalent it is but it, it depends on like uh where you are is how it's used so up north they literally just go and that means yes or like they're agreeing but here it's it when in everyday conversation it sounds more like a like a like it doesn't sound like a it sounds like a like you're fucking shocked or something and my wife has started doing that in when she's talking to me in english and it is fucking annoying i yeah, hate yeah. it so so much like at first it's kind of like fun you're like oh it's kind of weird um but now it's so irritating it just gets me fucking mad i don't know all all i can imagine is you just having like a war of a role with someone who's gasping for air who's essentially going yes 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 (laughs) so it's like (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) as you're choking them they're like yes yes Yes. Yeah, it's 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 weird, man. Like when you when you're talking, they're green. Like they go, like yeah. I don't know. Um, it's it's just fucking weird. When I first came here, I didn't really know about it. I only knew about the version, not like the how it sounds in everyday conversation. And my wife's mum does it all the time. And I thought she had some sort of like speech impediment or like a tick or something. And I and I eventually brought it up. I was like, why does your mum always do that? Like it's so weird. <laughs> and then I, yeah, obviously it's the yes, but fuck, man, it's annoying. In Swedish, yeah, that's fine, weird. But in English, yeah, it's yeah, fucking yeah. annoying, man. I hate it. Yeah, there's, 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 there's language things that, like, just don't make sense or like don't function correctly outside of that language. Mm-hmm. You know, like for, uh, another one in Portuguese is that you really have to use like the pronoun of whatever you're talking about like yeah oh, no, you sorry in portuguese you don't have to but in english you do like in english yeah. when you're making a sentence like you always have to say like you know turn the tv off or turn mm-hmm. it off you know like if i just said if I, you know and so my wife and i used to have this because in portuguese you don't really need to have to need to like a little bit more context in the conversation is carried over so we could be vaguely talking about the TV or it could be the only thing in the room that is turned on. And I could just like say to you, I'd be like, bro, turn off. And mm. in English, you'll be like, turn what off? 
Mm-hmm. I'll be like the fucking TV, you know, but like in, in Portuguese, it just makes sense. You'll just be like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, bro, turn off. You'll be like, yeah, okay. You'll know right, that you're talking okay. about the TV. But right. then when you do that same thing in English, like, because your brain is fun- functioning in English, you like you need the it or the, like, I need the, what, mm. what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. And oh, so, that's super interesting. Uh, anyway, let's yeah. talk about some jujitsu. <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, guys, let's. Uh, one of our longer intro. I don't know. I'm not going to say that. We've had way longer intros than 16 minutes. Bro, we've, but had, anyway. we've had intros that are so long that they took over the entire episode. Yeah, that's right. We have. But um, I want to talk a little bit about um, egos in jujitsu and whether they're whether they're good or bad. But I've listed three of the worst traits of someone with a bad ego not to say that someone with a bad ego necessarily does all of these but the worst three ego offenses for me because as a whole you know everyone sort of says like leave your ego at the door right and I'm not ignorant to the fact that sometimes the lines blur between ego being competitive um being confident, like sometimes these lines blur and overlap a little bit. I've said this multiple times that I don't think anyone who trains jujitsu for a significant amount of time is not competitive. Like for you to continue to train jujitsu for a significant amount of time, even as a hobby, like you have to have at least a bit of competitiveness in you. It's the nature of the sport is you compete every time you train. Okay. Obviously sometimes you train with no rolling, you know, you might just, whatever. you know what I mean? Right. The whole sport is competing. Like it'd be like if you played tennis, right. And you, you pursued the sport a little bit, not to go play at Wimbledon, but you just like to play tennis. If you had literally, literally zero desire to win, or fight to win, like you either wouldn't pursue it or no one would ever play tennis with you. So you'd be like, this dude's fucking lame. <laughs> so, so sometimes I guess a little bit of, you know, competitiveness, confidence, ego, and those sort of things, the lines can blur, but as a whole ego in the negative connotation, I'm like, I'm not a, a fan of it in jujitsu. I just find it super like, detrimental to your day-to-day interactions with jujitsu but before the day-to-day interaction the first one i want to tick off that and this is me personally so a lot of people love this one but um but i don't really like the whole trash talking ego side of of jujitsu and that could be like some people do nothing but trash talking banter online but some people do that in real life too you know and yeah, I'm. I think way back, maybe episode twenty or something, we did, you know, talking about trash talk. But yeah, yeah, we did. I'm just not a. I'm just not a. For me, that's one that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, me neither. To be honest, I mean, sometimes it's fun to see rivalries, and and you know, um, sometimes that can be fun. It can be a, a fun part of the sport because you know, there's always there's got to be a heel, you know, someone to sell the fight and. And things like that, but 
Yeah, there's a line. You know what I mean? I mean, if everyone was super like stoic all the time, the argument could be made that it would get boring because, you know, it is entertainment when we're talking about high-level competition jiu-jitsu. Yes, and the jiu-jitsu in unto itself is the entertainment and should be, right? But for that's not enough for everyone. And I think that the the whole backstory, people spend more time on Reddit talking about like the backstory and, uh, you know, the trash talk and, and the this and that between matchups than they do the actual technical side of the matchups these days. And I think there's an element of benefit to jujitsu as a whole, but there's also lines in the sand. You don't need to go full, you know who, all the time, I suppose. But yeah, I'm I'm a two minds. Like I don't I don't mind it in in some respect, but it can get a little bit tiresome when it's taken to the when it when it seems to be required for, for every bout these days. I don't think that's needed. Yeah, because I'm all for, and I think if we're talking about trash talk specifically. I believe a lot of people confuse um, trash talk with confidence. Like, so for example, for me, if, you know, you and I have a match and we've both got our interviews and whatever and all the press that you do coming up and I, people tell, ask me how I think the fight's going to go and I say like, you know, oh, Kieran doesn't stand a chance. I'm going to take him down, take his back, whatever. Like, that's just a fighter being confident in their abilities. Like, like no fighter is, is going to be, obviously everyone has some levels of self doubt. Usually I'm probably some people in the world who don't, but as a whole, people have some self doubt and whatever and question themselves and, Oh, what if I lose and whatever, but like you have to have like, be confident in your skills and your ability. Like, okay, be different. If you were interviewing me, cause I had a match with Gordon Ryan, I'm going to be like, bro, I'm going to get fucking smoked. No hope. Right. But you know, like, if no one's going to, you know, if, if I thought I had zero chance to beat you, like, like I'm probably not taking that match or, you know, vice versa. So I don't see that as trash talk when someone just says like, no, I'm going to win. He's not on my level and whatever. That's just someone being confident in their skills mm. and their ability. But yeah, when, when that ego turns into then like, aggressively attacking the person that's not i'm not what i'm a fan of like yeah like like i can say that like oh like i'm i'm you know got a better gas tank than him i've got a higher submission rate this and that i don't then have to be like you know fuck this dude should only be a you know he shouldn't he shouldn't even be a black belt like you know he's nowhere this guy's like this level of a blue belt and and then trash talking goes where they start being like guys like Chael Sonnen and Conor McGregor that then start insulting the dude's wife and family and country and like that stuff I really absolutely hate. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, totally. It's uh, It is a bit of an ego. And then when they start, when everyone starts to put the crown on. Put the, like, oh, God, it's so cringe. How many people are so going to do cringe. that? Yeah. Like, but, I mean, only one person could do that. The person who like invented it in jiu-jitsu. Uh, um, and everyone know, knows who that is. Everyone else yeah. thought it? Come on, bro. What are you doing? You know, but, everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking about this because I just watched the recent like 20-minute interview or something that Flow Grappling did with Gordon Ryan for his upcoming upcoming return to competition, which I believe is 1st of October with Patrick. Um, I always forget how to pronounce his last name, which is a bit embarrassing as someone who speaks Portuguese, but um, uh, Guido Guigio or whatever his last name is. 
Anyway, the whole interview, compared to Gordon's usual online persona, it was a much more like, like he didn't really talk shit about Patrick. Like, you know, he was, I mean, yeah, he also said the things that like, there's no way he's, you know, mm. there's no way he's progressed as fast as me. I'm going to use this to, you know, I'm going to beat him up for 20 minutes and then submit him, just prove I can do whatever I want with him and whatever. But he didn't, like, it wasn't like Gordon Penner trash talk or it wasn't, yeah. you know, Gordon Andre Galval heated stuff. It was actually the one of the few interviews I've seen of Gordon that was just way more sort of, like, normal. And I, like I was that. like, I, I was like, like that version I, of Gordon. I, I was like, if this is the direction he's going, I'm, I like it. You know, I like that version of Gordon. He, he's he's accomplished so much. He doesn't need to trash talk anymore. I know he finds it fun, and people come at him first. But everyone that's coming at Gordon these days is just chasing clout. You know what I mean? If you can get in an online flame war with Gordon, you're just going to get clout from it. You know what I mean? I don't, everyone knows I, what they're doing. I don't actually even think Gordon's online trolling or banter is even good. Like I think he, you know, especially especially <laughs> it's if it's Gordon mediocre. versus if it's Gordon versus Craig, he's he's losing every single time. Because like, Craig Gordon, is genuinely fucking hilarious. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> like the dude could be a comedian, and he's fucking whereas, hilarious. Whereas Gordon's the sort of dude who would end up being like, you know, that's what she said or something, and you're like, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, Craig. Craig's trash talk is not even like trash talk. It's just fucking memes. It's just hilarious. It's it's stand up comedy. It's funny as fuck. Yeah, he's the the king of of talking shit. Yeah, because it's um, self deprecating as well. Like you know what I mean? He's bringing himself down with it. He's like, oh, you know, the whole stick is uh, the the second best. You know, and and that's that's funny. People, it's relatable. It's it's definitely Aussie humor. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so trash talk, not a fan. So the other ones that are more affect you on a day-to-day are people, and this is where it starts like being detrimental to jiu-jitsu and unsafe for jiu-jitsu. And I know a lot of people listening would have met people like this. Maybe some of you are these people. But you don't have to train for too long until you'll come across someone who has essentially too big of an ego to tap, right? Or they wait until you know, like the last minute to tap and, you know, and then all of a sudden they're blaming you for, you know, you might've put the submission on as slow as humanly possible, but like, you know, if I'm just very slowly extending on the armbar, like giving you all the time in the world to tap and you don't like, I'm just going to, okay. Sometimes with, you'll get a a level of expertise where you'll let go of shit being like, fuck man, like he's not going to tap, but, but you know what I mean? Like, Everyone has a responsibility to look after their own body as well as their training partners. But yeah. People like that who who ref- tap really late and it results in injuries or it results in them, them having a go at you. And yep. then coupled with that, that's usually the same person, the same sort of person who goes, it was more of a crank than a choke. <laughs> you know yeah like, the, t- the tapping late and then they're like rolling around in pain and like what the fuck man what the fuck like i've i've trained with people like that and you know they they fuck me off i don't like training with them they yeah it's man it sucks it like when you know the type because immediately when they tap late and they end up uh, you know if you don't let go and you you force them to tap essentially like if you don't tap your arm's gonna break sort of thing um those type of people yeah, I, I do not like training with them. If you tap late, 
and you know you've tapped late and then you're rolling around in pain. You're like, oh, don't worry. Like, it was my fault. Like, that's the first thing you should say. Like, is, hey, hey, you know, all good. Like, I, I, I fucking tapped late. It's, it's on me. Not like, what the fuck, man? You, you're trying to kill me. Yeah, like those, yeah. those people, are, man, I've got no patience for them. I just like, shut the fuck up. You, anyway, <laughs> you little bitch. Like, that's, that's how I think about it. Like, and, and there's certain people that are serial offenders. If they're the type of dude that you always hear their voice screaming out in pain in the gym, it's like no one else, you know, we all have the same training partners. No one else needs to scream tap every fucking, every session. Yeah, why are you yeah. the only one? Like why, yeah. it is a common denominator here. It's not your training partners, bro. It's fucking you. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I've I've seen a few of those people in you know in my short time in jujitsu, and uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, um, you know, and like for for example, the opposite of that is I'll give you an example of a scenario that played out in the gym last week. So, two of my students, Damo and Eric, were rolling, and these are guys who train together all the time, and yep. they can both submit each other, right? Um, like Damo's a brown belt, Eric's a blue belt, but much bigger than Damo, right? Mm-hmm. And also an ex-professional athlete. So not that Damo's not incredibly talented, but Eric is a handful just because of his professional athlete mentality. So he's a handful for me, right? And I'm Eric's size. But um, anyway, so even though they're very lovely training partners, Sometimes, you know, when you have one of those training partners who you go back and forth with and at any given time you can essentially, you know, maybe I get the better of him today, but tomorrow he smokes me. You tend to be a little bit more, you know, gung-ho to take that submission. Or if they had already subbed you earlier in the role, then when the submission comes along, you're a little bit more likely to really go for it. Not in a a malicious way, but you know what I mean. The more competitive... Again, not the ego, but the competitiveness kicks in. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you the perfect example of how you should behave. So they were rolling. And yeah, I think Damo, who had already been caught by Eric or something, it was a small class, so they had done multiple rolls together in the night. And then um, Damo caught Eric in this knee bar where he had Eric dead to rights and Eric was standing up, right? And Damo's just extending on this knee bar and then kind of like sort of relax. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my God. And then he relaxes a little bit. And then Eric's like, no, I'm fine. Keep going. And Damo goes a bit more. And then Damo just kind of gives up on it and goes like, man, I don't want to break your leg. Yeah. And then they, and then and he just gives up on the, the knee bar and then they keep going. And then after the roll, I went up to Eric. And I was like, I was like, dude, man, that knee bar looked deep. Like, and Eric was like, yeah, but he was like, look at this. And his knees hyperextend big time. And he just showed, like, because I was watching the knee bar and his knees completely bowing the wrong mm. way. So I'm watching it being like, oh my God, like, how is he not tapping? And, you know, and yeah, Damo was like, I don't want to break your leg. But it turns out Eric was fine. His knees, I didn't know this until just last week, his knees hyperextend massively, bro. Like, like really far. Mm. Um, on both sides. And so Damo, if he was someone with an ego problem, would have like kept ripping that. But him as an experienced brown belt and not wanting to injure a training partner and, you know, he he knew, okay, he didn't know that Eric's knees hyperextend, otherwise he probably would have kept going. But he just knew the mechanics of 99% of his training partners and how far a knee bends and he's looking at it and going, nah, I'm not going to keep pushing even though he's not tapping. Mm -hmm. 
You know? be real careful with that though, from Eric's perspective, because from a physiological standpoint, if even if you do have joints that hyperextend or hypermobile, it can actually be a disadvantage because your body gives you less signal before it breaks. Hundred percent. So, when it when it goes, it's then when it goes, yeah, it, you, it, it, it's instant. You don't yeah. have a time to tap, so you you need to be careful. I've, you know, everyone's had the training partner that gives you a heads up. Oh yeah, my my shoulder's hypermobile, and this and that is hypermobile, but. Yeah, sometimes that can be a disadvantage if you're a bit too gumby. Um, but just something to think about. You know what you say to someone who's like ever says like my shoulder's hypermobile? You go, oh yeah. Hey, have you seen how you can like debone a chicken wing prior to eating it and then eat the whole chicken wing? And they go, yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's what I'm about to do to your shoulder, motherfucker. <laughs> Take the whole thing out of the socket. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it's funny when you have training partners that like have a shtick about them. You know what I mean? Like they have like the oh, be careful of so and so because oh, you can't arm by him, or oh, be careful of that guy. Like you'll never get a Kamara on him. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And talking about egos, my number one priority is to hit the submission that they won't tap to. For sure, yeah. <laughs> but you get it? They get it, so mad. <laughs> It's funny, but like sometimes that shtick is legitimate. So I just mm. recently finished up doing um, like a little workshop thing with one of the, the girls' schools in, in the area. Mm-hmm. And it's like year 10 girls, which is they're about 15 years old. And it's just part of their school program where in at this time of the year, they get exposed to different subjects that aren't part of regular school curriculum. So maybe some kids are doing jujitsu, some might be doing rock climbing and it's just for one term, right? They just Mm -hmm. do a handful of classes. So you're essentially doing a few self-defense classes with them. But one of the girls is, so I'm told from from the high school teacher, is apparently an incredibly high level for her age, uh, really high level gymnast. And for those who don't know, gymnast practice practice specifically shoulder dislocation right and they they actually there's heaps of youtube videos of like challenges where what they'll do is hold like a broomstick for example in in front of their 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 belly and with straight Mm -hmm. arms take it up behind their head round to to their butt and if you try this you'll notice that the wider your hands are like i mean put your hands super wide it's very easy unless you have bad shoulders everyone can do it but then the closer your your hands get together, you have to dis. I don't know if, if it medically it is dislocating your shoulder, but that's what they call it. They call it shoulder dislocation. And the closer your hands are together, the more you have to have the ability to dislocate your shoulders to get that stick behind your head and down to your butt. And um, her being a really high level gymnast, they were doing just your classic beginner submission of an Americana. And obviously, these are just some high school girls going through the motions. So I'm not like, I'm really not looking for people to execute. They're going to do five classes and then potentially never do it again. So I'm just wanting them to get some experience, have some fun. So I wasn't concerned with 100% the correct application. But man, like the range of motion in her shoulder was was pretty like you start, you wanted to start throwing up in your mouth. And she's like, I'm not feeling anything. You know? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. World champion in the making. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Fuck. Next one. So now I, I want to talk about what is by far the number one worst ego problem in jiu-jitsu. 
and that is essentially instructors with impost, imposter syndrome. Mm. Instructors who at their core are not particularly good at jujitsu, right? <laughs> and they feel the need. No, no, I mean, I'm not saying this to hurt anyone's feel, feelings. This is legitimate. And I say this being full, fully aware that there's plenty of people in the world that can beat the shit out of me in jujitsu. Like, but I also am confident in where I did all of my jujitsu, like study, if you will, is in like where I, I spent all my time as I was coming up through the belts and, and yeah, I didn't win any world titles or anything, but I can hang with, I don't want to say I can hang with the best of them. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, like I'm a competent black belt and I know my shit and whatever. Yeah. I know compared to someone like John Denneher, I don't, but there's a lot of instructors, particularly, <coughs> excuse me, particularly in a country like Australia, maybe not so much if you were in Brazil or the U S where the market is, operates as a whole at a higher standard but there's plenty of really bad instructors who yeah use use their ability to bash up really unskilled students as a way to show that they're better right to prove that they're better to you know they beat up the white belts and the blue belts because that's about the only people they're good enough to to be better than you know, or maybe they're better than the brown belts in their gym, but it's because they're brown belts who have been with them from day one, right? And and, and the head coach is no good anyway. These in, <laughs> these instructors are by far the worst ego problem in the in in jujitsu. And I want to tell you a little anecdote that one of my students, which I'm not going to mention any names, but one of my students just told me this. Okay, so. Uh, for those who aren't aware, I am incredibly like open and easygoing with students training, like train wherever you want. Okay. Like I have none of that, you know, you can't, you know, cause you're from this team, you can't go there. Like, you know, man, cross train with whoever you want. Like I have zero, zero of any of that. So this student of mine, who's a white belt, I think I've just, within like a couple of weeks, just given him his second stripe on his white belt, right? He was away somewhere in Australia for work. And so he did what a lot of people do. He, he found the nearest gym and he went in. And he went into this gym. And, and I think it's also the first time he's gone to a different gym. You know, he's only ever done jujitsu with me. He's got no comparison and... You know, he went to train at this other gym and he said, he, he, he came to me almost, he's the nicest dude and he almost had disbelief on his face. He, he was like, man, he's like, I fucking smoked them, <laughs> like all of them. And no, and, and, um, and I mean, I'm not sandbagging him. Like he's been training like. Oh, shit. He's, he's been training maybe like five months or something. I don't know, whatever it is. Like, I mean, max six months, right? He's been training, absolute max. So it's not like I've had this two-stripe white belt. It's not like he comes from wrestling or, or anything, right? Um, yeah, he's only 20, so he's young and fit, or maybe he's only 19. But he, and 
and I don't know what the other belts of the dudes he were with was training with, but even if everyone he was with is white belts, that's kind of irrelevant to the point of the story I'm going to get to, right? So, I mean, give give this other gym the benefit of the doubt. Let's imagine all the other dudes were white belts. I don't know. And they were doing like essentially king of the hill or king of the mats training where whatever, I think it was specific something. And um, yeah, whoever kept winning stayed in. So he kept winning. He was he was like, man, like he was like, I just like demolished them. And then, so then the instructor comes in and the instructor wasn't a black belt, but he's definitely more than a two-stripe white belt. So whatever the instructor was, and because it was Nogi, right? So he said as well, he's like, I'm not sure what belt the instructor was, but he wasn't black belt. He then said it took ages for the coach to pass his guard which is fine. Like you don't have to, again, you don't have to necessarily be like the top competitor in the world to be a good coach. Right. But anyway, it took ages for the coach to pass his guard. And when the coach did pass his guard, he gets up and looks at him at my student and, and go and goes, welcome to the gym. And then like, and I'm like, what? Like, I mean, (laughs) this sort of behavior, bro, like what sort of ego do you have to have that you need to barely pass the guard of a white belt and then be like, yeah, welcome to the gym, motherfucker. Dude. This this is so... Like, this is a honestly, true story, bro. I was told this today. I was about today. to say, this does I was not told sound this, believable. I, I was told this... I don't to, believe it. Like, and to the, be honest, the student didn't even come to me to tell me. He was telling another student... And then I kind of just like was in earshot and heard the other students say, you've got to tell ads that story. Man, and I, was like, I don't what know. Story? This sounds suspicious. Like I, if I was a two-stripe white belt. It sounds suspicious. It does. But, it, it sounds like but I, it sounds a little but, bit hammed up. Um, I, I think when we stop recording and I give you more details and I give you names <laughs> and the, stuff, the gym. You, 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 you'll be <laughs> like... <laughs> You'll be like, oh yeah, that checks out. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just like imagining some like, you know, some two stripe white belt that I don't know. He he visited a gym, did okay, and then oh, you know, the story just got a little bit out of hand. No, That's no, what it sounds also, like. Nah, like there's it's just it's so ridiculous. If, it's something like if I if if I gave you the names, if I gave you all the all the receipts you know, of like yeah, okay. who it of who it is and where it was and all, all this, right. you you would be like. That story 100% checks out. Fair enough. I can imagine yeah. Eric doing, like, you know, when Eric was a white belt, I can Ameri- I imagine something like that happening with Eric because, you know, he's, yeah, was a massive handful as a white belt. Huge yeah, handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, well, he's just going to be permanently a handful, bro. Fuck that yeah. dude. Imagine when he gets um, black belt, dude. He's going to be fucking <laughs> very good. But I'll be... Well retired by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll kneecap him in the fucking car park before then. Yeah. But um but yeah, man, I was just in shock to the story. So that sort of ego of inst- and surely people have encountered instructors like this who Yeah. You know, and unfortunately it's something that comes back to like and you and you might ask yourself, how do these dudes even survive if they're not that bad? Like, you know, isn't the proof in the pudding? And it's like, well, Yes and no, because on the one hand, there's plenty of coaches, even some of the best competitors, multiple world title winning competitors who are no longer active in competition or maybe role less because they're older, 
right? Mm. So, of course, like, look at my coach, Fabio, right? Like, you know, four-time world champion, created one of the most successful, the most successful team in competitive jiu-jitsu and, right, multiple world champion black belts underneath him and whatever. But you get to a certain point and people go, who the fuck is Fabio Gagel? Like, I mean, that point is already exists. People say, yep. say who's, people don't know who Hodger Gracie is anymore, yep. right? Like, yep. not as a whole, lots of people do, but you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yep. So, so it's not like the proof is in the pudding in that sense, right? You get to a point where, I mean, again, like, I mean, John Denneher doesn't like compete or he hasn't, I don't know. He hasn't even rolled for many, many years, you know? So, um, but then the problem is as well, when you're brand new to jujitsu, if it's something that you've just purely gone out to look to investigate on your own and you haven't had a friend refer you or whatever, because even the shittest gyms can have five out of five Google reviews, right? Like, I mean, like, so you, you, you don't know. You don't know any better. If you're brand new to the sport, you just got to hope to some degree without any referral program, you've got to hope that you walked into the right gym with a credible coach who doesn't have this horrible ego that continues to beat the shit out of you as a means to make them feel good and to prove that, that, you know, that they're better than you. Yeah. And something that's typically, sorry to cut you off. It's tip just going back to imposter syndrome. It's typically these gyms as well that are way more strict on the whole. You're not allowed to cross train at another gym because they don't want you. Yeah. They don't want you to get exposed to like, you know, I, I, I give the, uh, been a while since i've done an analogy but i give the analogy when it's kind of like you know when you're younger you only know your parents cooking and you think your parents cooking is the best and then you grow up and you go somewhere and you eat something it's amazing you go oh my god what what what's in this and someone's like salt you know? <laughs> you know? and then you yeah. and then all of a sudden you realize that your parents actually can't cook for shit right <laughs> and and you know it'll always remain nostalgic for you but you know it's like you've yeah. been exposed to like actually what high-end good cooking is and you go oh my god there's this whole new world out here yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah they tend to those two tend to be in a parcel i find yeah no that, that's a that's a good point and i think one thing that people that have been training jiu-jitsu for a while, particularly if we're talking upper belts, like, you know, bubble belt up, tend to forget that the that 90% of the people that train jiu-jitsu are white belts, the beginners, over 90%. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. 80, 80 to 90% of, of people that actually train jiu-jitsu. The, the amount of people at the upper belt level, uh, you know, higher than blue belt is minuscule in compared to the amount of practitioners it's a it's a pyramid, right? The the base yeah. of the pyramid is built from beginners because people come and go, and and that's a good thing <clears throat> in a sense. Um, longevity in jiu-jitsu has always been a point of contention. People always come in and out of jiu-jitsu. It's long, it's hard, blah blah blah. We've okay, that came out wrong, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. we've spoken about this uh, to you know we have so many episodes dedicated to the reality of jiu-jitsu, part one, part two, et cetera, et cetera. And when you're saying like uh, a gym that has a renowned shit air quote shit instructor that their jiu-jitsu is not very good and how do these gyms survive well maybe they have good marketing or maybe they're in a good area or you know the fact that 80 to 90 percent of people that train jiu-jitsu don't know any better it's it's the reason mcdojo you know the 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 
the places that are featured on McDojo Life where it's literally like showing an armbar and they have no idea what they're doing and then real black belts come in and dojo storm these fake black belts. Like the reason these places exist and can appear to survive is because if you're dealing with people that do not know any better, they don't. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Makes sense. I have that one remi- to add. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, go on. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I was just going to say, you remind me of <laughs> something my, my, my late granddad said to me <laughs> when you said you don't know what you don't know. And I was, when I was much younger and moving to Sydney. So I, I left where I grew up when I was 18 and moved to Sydney by myself. Like I had zero connections in Sydney, right? Well, I, I mean, I had a girlfriend who lived in Sydney, which was the main catalyst for moving, but I had no anything in Sydney. And <laughs> my granddad who grew up in the early, you know, days in, in, in Western Sydney in poorer, rougher areas, he was concerned for my safety. And I'm a, it's the last time I'm seeing him prior to moving. And he goes to me, all right, Adam, don't make friends with anyone you don't know. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Looking out, looking, <laughs> out, looking, looking out for me, but I was like, yeah, I don't know where you're Yeah, shit. Know. Yeah. Anyways, totally. Sorry. Go back to you. You had one to add. Yeah, I've got one. When we're talking about egos, we've gone through the three types of egos. I want to add one, and I talk about this a lot, and it, it irks me still to this day is the. The, the ego issue that I have the most problem with, well, one of the, apart from what you've already discussed, is higher belts, generally like, you know, brown and mostly black belts, that the type of people that talk about how big of a problem ego is and leave your ego at the door and, and you know, they, they talk a lot about how ego needs to be left like left at the door in jiu-jitsu and they give advice to, to everyone that would listen about, you know, tapping early and this and that. But then when it comes to it, some of the biggest egos I've ever experienced in jiu-jitsu are the same people that talk about it constantly. And, <laughs> and it's just, I just find it interesting. And, you know, I've, I've met a lot. And it's not just like, you know, I'm not, talking to, I'm not even talking about high-profile people. I'm just talking about everyday black belts in the gym that will, will tell any new white belt that listens all this advice and stuff like that but when you roll with them you're like fuck man you got the biggest goddamn ego ever like if i got the better of them or or if i gave them a hard time or whatever then all of a sudden it's just fucking you know like a death roll or or um you know next time they they see you they'll try and put smash on or they use like a revenge roll or they they um they try to like oh the worst is when when you did something to someone that's not that has nothing to do with jujitsu or like something that you, you may have said something that they don't like or, or or done something to to annoy them or whatever. And then the next time you roll, they come at you with a vengeance to try and, you know, use jujitsu to punish you or to, to like get back at you or whatever. Or, you know, to that's, that's just fucking bullying, bro. That's just fucking yeah. sanctioned bullying. Yeah. And I've experienced that before. I've, I've legitimately experienced that. And at the time, I didn't really know any better. So I was like, you know, uh, still white belt and, and young and impressionable and, and whatever. But now looking back on it, I'm like, that is fucked up. That is so fucked up. Um, yeah, that in my in my opinion, they are the worst, and it's ironic because you know they're the people that talk about it the most. 
Sounds very targeted towards me. I'm not loving this conversation anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not, in, not in the slightest, bro. Not in the slightest. No, um, I, I do. We, yeah, a previous episode we've spoken that like if you were to put me in the box, I guess like when the competitiveness of me comes in, it would be that revenge role person. But I think the, yeah, but the, angle, do the angle is different. It's more... Like it's more frustration at myself, you know, that I'll be, you know, f- frustrated that my ne- it's never like the the person that it happened with. They could be just a a a, a faceless, no name, yes, opponent, and it's this, it's this, you know, it's I, it's no different to me if I'm playing a video game against an AI opponent and I lose and I'm like, go rematch. Nah, nah, yeah. like oh, I'm going again. Yeah. You know? Or yeah, you could be That's playing. That's not what a, I'm talking a, about. I'm, yeah. I'm talking about revenge rollers in like you said something to them that upset their feelings like two weeks ago and they've been like in their mind, like ready to, to fucking yeah, go at yeah. for, for weeks. I've, you know, and that's, in my opinion, nah, that's, that's no just fucking, that's bullying. That's, that's massive ego. Um, and yeah, it's just fucking, no good. It's just such a bitch move, in my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Luckily, like I think as a whole, you know, I think we've maintained a really good group of people at the gym with a very, you know, obviously it takes all sorts to make up the world, but I think as a whole, people, yeah, I think we've created quite a nice gym and quite a nice atmosphere that a lot of these red flags don't, appear in our gym i'm not saying we're immune to them right but i I think as a whole we do okay i there's also this problem that i experienced once in the navy and um and i I still don't know what i think about it so let me let me just paint the picture we had a trainee join our ship um and i was uh in charge of obviously i was a senior officer senior rank compared to them and i was in charge of training them and they ended up failing their training or doing poorly and, and wanted to leave the Navy because they're still pretty new and pretty young and, and blah, blah, blah. And when they had their interview, their leaving interview with the captain back at their training school, they, they cited the reason they wanted to leave because of the boys club the mentality in, na- in the Navy and they cited our ship as, as part of the reason they wanted to leave. And we called this throwing a hand grenade in. And it happens a lot when, particularly in my job, when some trainees are, um, maybe they can't handle the job, maybe they don't like the Navy, and instead of you know in- internalizing that and saying, hey, it's not for me, maybe I'm, I'm not prepared to put in the work to learn or it's, it, I'm finding it too difficult, it's not what I thought it was going to be, they, they like to externalize and blame others and, and throw a hand grenade and try and get people in trouble before they leave. And it's very effective, it works. Like They do get people in trouble a lot of the time um, because of the sensitivity culture in the Navy um, these days. But... The point, the point of this story is I've reflected on that on over the years and I've thought, well, what if, hypothetically, what if the trainee wasn't doing that and maybe they actually did perceive us to be a boys club? Maybe, hypothetically, we were a very clicky, you know, boys mentality that we didn't realize because we couldn't see the forest through the trees. I like to, I've been doing this a lot lately, a bit of soul searching, Adam, as I've matured, <laughs> is, is playing, the, playing the game where you, you say, okay, what if I'm wrong? You know, and really explore that in in further detail. I've been doing this in different areas in 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 previously held beliefs, and it's been fucking been tough, but like eye opening. And I've I've done this with this experience, like because I always 
disliked this training and thought you you know you're a fucking asshole you you just couldn't handle it blah 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 and and you you left and you you tried to blame us but what if we did have a boys club and the reason i'm bringing up this analogy is you know and i'm not saying this is the case at all i'm just throwing it out there as a food for thought what if there are red flags in your gym but you couldn't see it because it's like trying to see the forest through the tree sort of thing i'm not saying that you're perpetrating it but maybe it's like become a part of the culture in unto itself mm. yeah for sure i guess that could ha- happens in a lot of aspects of of life right like yeah. you know in you don't see that you know like you'll have a relationship that's turning sour and it's not till you know years after the fact of the whether it's a friendship or a girlfriend or a marriage, you know, when that relationship ends and it's not till years later and you look back and you're like, oh, there was so many signs or whatever. Yep. Like, I think it's very common. Um, yeah. That's interesting, though, the clicky thing, though. I know that's just one specific example and it's not the, even the red flags we're talking about. We were talking about yeah. egos, right? Um, but the clicky thing, I actually did have one student leave because they complained that the gym was too clicky. First of all, I've been at mm. multiple gyms and compared to other gyms, I know firsthand that our gym is not, I mean, it has, has some, <laughs> it, it has, some, has some level of click, yep. um, but you'll find naturally people tend to train at gyms that they fit in with. I know people who chose not to train at like, you know, whatever, the number one ranked gym in the city or whatever. Like I know someone who personally chose not to train at Cabrinha's Right, because it just like it just didn't feel right for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't please everyone, and so so that's fine. So people tend to, to already not train where they don't fit in. Yeah, not because the gym might not even be unfriendly or whatever. It's just not the vibe for you. But it is hard to avoid clickiness in jujitsu because it's just such an intimate sport. Like, yeah. and I and I use that as one of the big selling points. Like my wife used to do F forty five, like for those who don't know what that is, sort of a CrossFit-ish gym where you just go do your workout in classes and whatever. And she Describe it as tell- circuit training. Yeah, she couldn't tell you the name of anyone who was also a member at the gym, right? But at yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, you know essentially almost everyone's name, right? Or at yep. least the names of all the people in the classes that you regularly attend. And yeah, like it's it's so intimate, like that, yep. that relationships are formed and, you know, it's this forced intimate uh, interaction that I would argue it's next to impossible to avoid clicks yeah, developing. It's the nature of it. Like every gym will have the it's in also, crowd. It's also it just, just the is. nature of our inherent desire to be to interact with other humans. You know, why do you, think, why do you think one of the harshest punishments in the world is solitary confinement, right? Like, mm. I mean... But anyway, that was just, yeah. but yeah, anyway, you raised a good soul searching question. I will start <laughs> soul searching the red flags in the gym. I'll be like, yeah, yeah that dude doesn't ever wear pants. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, does um, spend a lot of time in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, yeah right. I think there is an in crowd, man. There's got to be like, yeah. the, there is an in crowd. But and, I think but- I do believe that if I were to do a quick on the spot soul searching, I think I don't know. Obviously things go on in the gym when me or the head instructor isn't there. Mm. Like even with cameras in the gym, right? You can't be privy to every sort of thing. Like I know there's multiple student WhatsApp groups, right? That I'm not in, right? That friends within the gym have 
create it. And that's fine, right? But like, yeah. e- even <laughs> obviously, even teaching 100% of the classes, you can't be as the head coach or instructor involved in every single interaction that goes on between yeah. the people who visit your premises. And you don't even want to more, be. Yeah. And even more so when you don't, when you have multiple instructors and you don't teach all the classes. Yeah. So obviously I'm not privy to everything that goes on, but if I were to do an on the spot self-evaluation to the particular example you gave, I do honestly believe that our gym is, you know, it's, it's clickiness would be in the fact that it's so welcoming to everyone, you know, and it really tries to automatically like pull people into that, friendship circle or inner circle whatever you want to yeah, call it definitely. like you're, you're you're like you're you're almost forced into the click in a positive way yeah right? compared to a lot of other gyms that i've been a part of you know like i spent five years not in a click at, at the gym that i chose to train at in brazil it was super clicky and i was even after five years even after when i worked directly for fabio even after i was an instructor at the gym like i never got in pulled in or treated like I was in a clique, you know? Yeah. You weren't on the in crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Even doing, even doing like training, strength and conditioning training outside the gym with Fabio and Michael Lange and these guys, we went off site to do other uh, strength and conditioning stuff, like all the other stuff. And I was still never in like, it was the, the barrier to entry seemed like, but yeah, yeah. I mean, actually I know what it was. The barrier to entry was like, you know, Getting a making the podium at Worlds essentially was the barrier to entry. Well, at Black Belt, I should say, or at Brown Belt. But yeah. Anyway, on to the next. Aaron, have you got your something interesting? Yes, and I want to go first because we might have the same one. <laughs> no, we de- we definitely. I can guarantee you, we don't okay. have the same one. Okay, yep. good. All right. Well, this one's an easy one, and if you've been maybe living under a rock or you just don't follow the scene. Adam, I'm sure you're aware of this, hopefully. <clears throat> Have you seen the breaking news from ADCC trials? Um, Probably not. Let me explain. So, ADCC is a... Everyone should know what ADCC is. ADCC trials, which is the uh, way you qualify for the actual ADCC main event... Uh, they have now changed the weigh-in rules that weigh-ins will now take place the day before. And this change was announced a few days ago and the post says as follows, breaking news, ADCC trials will now will now day before weigh-ins. That's terrible wording, um, but that's what it <laughs> says. This change is effective immediately. Uh, and the it also went on to say that ADCC European trials in Poland, which is in Warsaw this weekend, I think it's the 16th, uh, it was just in Poland, but not in Warsaw, uh, will be scheduled as follows, 8 to 10 p.m. Friday at the arena, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday at the, re- at the arena. So you have the option to our weigh-in window from 8 to 10 p.m. To, to make weight and weigh-in the day before. Now, why is this relevant for those that aren't super familiar with the way things work? This may not seem like a big change, but it is a very, very significant change for everyone that competes. And uh, just before I go into my thoughts on it, um, Mo Jassim jumped into the comments and uh, wanted to clarify some things because obviously there was a huge uproar about this. Um, some people were loving it. Some people were, were hating it. And Mo Jassim said in the comments, for those complaining, 
ADCC has a 22-pound difference between weight classes. Many athletes are stuck where they are too big for one division and too small for the other. This helps tremendously. Some ADCC trials have 256 competitors in a single division. We want to see the best version of athletes competing. One last thing. This is in a separate comment. He said, one last thing. We will be doing the weigh-ins the night before, not morning before. Athletes will be able to cut weight, weigh in, hydrate, and get a good night of sleep. Now, there's a few things going on here. So I just want to, I haven't fully formulated my opinion. I've spoken about weigh-ins and making weight a lot because I coach a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu people in making weight for competitions. And this is arguably at the moment, the biggest competition in jiu-jitsu outside of worlds, but arguably bigger. Weigh-ins the day before, what does that change? What changes a lot? It changes a lot. Because of same-day weigh-ins, particularly for trials and even, even the big show, it was causing a lot of athletes that are in between weight to have to cut weight the day of competing. And when we say cut weight, we're not talking about you know changing your body composition, meaning reducing your body fat percentage and increasing muscle mass and, and whatever to make, to make weight, right? We're talking about water cutting. This is all water cutting. So what Mo is saying, particularly in the comments in you know, in my opinion, didn't do a great job, but was sort of defending the position and saying, this is why we're doing it because the, the weight divisions are so large. It helps athletes that are in between weights to, to comfortably make weight. The reason that a lot of athletes chose not to do this approach before this rule is because it is nigh impossible, near impossible, I should say, to effectively cut the day of a morning competition and then rehydrate weigh in and then rehydrate before your your matches. And when he's saying there's 256 competitors, there's a lot of matches basically is what he's saying. Like you're doing four to five matches till the finals if you, if you want to win. So they want to see the best version of competitors. So they're trying to avoid athletes from that are in between weights or, or just want to go lighter from water cutting, being dehydrated and bonking out early on the day. And they want the best version of the athletes. So they're doing day before weigh-ins. So they're encouraging water cutting. Personally, I think this is the wrong approach. I think that water cutting is not is is not a good approach for the athletes. Yes, it's less dangerous uh, in air quotes um, than MMA because you're not being punched in the head. But it's it's a direction of, in my opinion, it's a way of trying to emulate MMA, make it more um, spectator friendly by seeing larger and larger athletes in lighter and lighter divisions. That's all you're doing is you're just, you're forcing everyone down a bracket. Who's going to suffer in this? Well, obviously the athletes. We're going to have people that don't have a lot of experience water cutting feeling like now they have to water cut to be competitive because um, all of a sudden in their, maybe they're in the 60, uh, the 77 kilo division and all of a sudden they have people that are walking around their walking weight at, at like 85 or even 88 kilos in their division and they're just getting absolutely steamrolled if they don't participate in the water cut. It's kind of like the steroid argument as well. If if you promote steroids or don't ban steroids in a, in a sport, if particularly for or everyone really that wants to make it in that sport, you have to, it's like pay to play. You have to participate in whatever is being done to to equalize the advantage. And that's why I'm against steroids in sport and, and the whole argument of, oh, just don't do it is, is fucking dumb. And I think the same can be applied with water cutting. That's my initial thought on it. I haven't had enough time to really like, you know, sit down yeah. and formulate it, but yeah. 
Yeah, as a whole, like, I'm, I'm not really a fan of it. I mean, but I'm also not a fan of ADCC's blatant blind eye to, to steroid use and stuff. Um, yeah, like, as a whole, to look, I'll, refer, I'll reference, I'll reference your guy, Kieran, and like, I know that even Joe Rogan hates it. He calls weight cutting legal cheating. Yeah, you know, it's literally the, like um, he does to paraphrase cheating. Sanctioned cheating, he calls it. And yeah, I'm not for it. Like if if obviously, you know, even with even if you wanted to, there's things take time and money. So you know, it's like the steroid problem. Even if you wanted to ban it, it costs money to test people and whatever. But like for me, if if logistics aside for me it would be like yeah cool you have to weigh in every day for the seven days leading up to the competition you know like it's like you like you have to be this weight healthy at this weight you know it's like you gotta weigh in every day for a week leading up to it also obviously that's never going to happen you know but like let's 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 take a sport where it's even more crucial to your weight and how important it is formula one I haven't referenced Formula One in ages. Formula One, they, I think it's something like per kilogram of weight can be up to a tenth of a second a lap, right? Whoa, Difference. really? I believe so. I might, or it might be a, a hundredth. Of, it might be a hundredth of a second, or it's something. But we're talking about when sometimes getting pole position or not is, you know, zero point zero zero one of a second sometimes, right? Like, so tenths and hundredths of seconds matter in this sport, right? And I, I, I might have those numbers wrong, but it, whatever it is, it's like a, they know that a kilo, depending on the track and everything, a kilo, they know that a kilo equals X amount of like added time or time lost, right? In a lap. Drivers, every single, t- you know what they do every single time before they get in a car? They get weighed. You know what they do as soon as they get out of the car every single time? They get weighed. And they have, like, you're not allowed to be lighter, right? So drivers aren't, like, drivers have minimum weights that they're allowed to be. So So you can't just have a driver essentially, like, cutting a bunch of weight or whatever to be four kilos lighter than everyone else, meaning their car's going to be four tenths or whatever, four one hundredths, whatever it is, a lap quicker. They're not allowed. It's against the rules. They have to be... Uh, I believe they have a minimum and maximum weight. Whatever, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but yeah, you're not like you're not allowed to just, you know. And so I know for a fact that taller drivers have a harder time. Like taller drivers have to stay leaner because they naturally weigh more, right? Like so, taller drivers have a harder time with their diet and everything because they obviously don't want to be heavier because that makes the car slower. But it's not like littler drivers can cut weight and just get super light you know, mm. and to, to make the car faster. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, weight cutting's dog shit, but yeah, I was not aware of this, um, this rule change, but whatever. But I mean, at, at this time it only applies to trials. It does not apply to the main event. So I don't, I, I don't see a world where they won't be applying it to the main event. I think they just haven't figured out the logistics yet. And I see them, uh, announcing it because if, if you are an 85 well, would- kilo person and you cut down water weight to 77 kilos and then you win and you make, the show how how the fuck are you going to make 77 
Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. single day. You got to weigh in every day. They weigh in every you gotta day. You got to weigh in every day, yeah. Like every if day. you make it to the, the finals three days and you got to fight the second day, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't understand how it's, yeah. you know, how, how it's going to work logistically, but they'll figure it out. They, they may do a whole one, one weigh-in system, but then you're going to have some crazy weight cuts, particularly the larger, the heavier weight classes, you know, and it, it's going to trickle all the way down. I don't know. I just... Look, ADCC going to do what ADCC going to do, bro. Yeah. I want them to add more weight divisions, not make weight cutting a thing. But look, when they allow steroids, <laughs> it's like a scarecrow yeah. policy that I'm about to spruik out. But you know, if you're allowed fucking steroids, what's next? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Weapons? Like fucking <laughs> striking? This is just MMA now. All right. My something interesting, again, is a shout out to a student. And I just wanted to... <laughs> this is like Adam's student feature of the week. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, this student said something re- really interesting. His name's Andre. And Andre is a ex-professional goalkeeper in football or in, in soccer. And um, and he's really focused, driven, everything. Super new. I think, one, I think, yeah, one stripe on his white belt. And whenever new students come in, I always ask them and... I always ask them, oh, why did you decide to train jiu-jitsu? I think this is an important question to ask because for different people, they, they pursue it for different reasons. Some want to get fit, some want to make friends, some want to try something new, whatever it is. And he said something that I thought was, was really cool. He said that one of the main reasons for his decision to, to investigate jiu-jitsu was that currently we just live and operate in a world that is all like instant gratification right as we know like we you know social media is built on it right instant gratification and you know if if you call someone and they you know if you message someone and they haven't messaged you back within 30 seconds you're like fuck what you know where is this person they didn't pick up the phone right and he was like i'm really he's like i really want to do something that is like zero instant gratification, something that takes like a lot of hard work and takes, can take a long time to see, reap, you know, reap what you sow. It's just like, and I was like, I'd never really thought about it like that, you know? And I was like, that's such a great mentality to have because if you get into jujitsu thinking that you're going to have like that, it operates like the world as a whole tends to operate nowadays, which is very, Everything is now, you can get everything now. It's all instant gratification. It's like, well, man, like you're going to have a rough journey because that's not how jujitsu works, right? It, it, and then even after you have progress um, spikes and then you have lulls and then, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not this instant rewarding thing. And I just loved that mentality. I'd never had a student say that to me as their reason for doing jujitsu before. And like it actually, you know, I was like, fuck, man, that is such a good answer. Like what a great mentality to have as one of the deciding factors as why you wanted to, why you wanted to give this sport a go. You chose the right sport. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You're in the right maybe place. I, maybe I gave Andre, him that strike right a little place. too early, a little too yeah. early. I should have made him, take it back. <laughs> should have made him wait a little longer. Yeah. But, yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. That's yeah, and I mean, fuck, I like that. I've been doing it for years and I'd never thought about it like that. And because, yeah. yeah, I just never made the connection between how it's so different to how the world works now. Mm. And yeah, so, but fuck, 
Don't worry, guys. Those YouTube reels, they're still all there. That shit's instant gratification. You'd be scrolling for hours. Pew, pew, pew. Doom scrolling for days, boys. Doom scrolling. Yep, yep. Uh, So I'll have to, hopefully between now and next week, someone else says something interesting in the gym, so I've got another shout out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, next you're just going to be shouting out everyone. Like, shout out to my new student, George, who just got a stripe on the... White belt, super interesting. <laughs> Good job, George. <laughs> oh, Shout out shit. to that dude who waved at me when I, yeah. you know, when he let me lane split. What a guy! What a guy! Shout out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. So, um, next episode is episode one fifty. Oh yeah, it is our Q and A. It feels like for, well, it has been forever since we've done one, but it's our first one since coming back from our our first break. Right. So excited to get back into that. Um, if you're quick by the time of, if you listen to this not long after it comes out and then you're quick to jump on our Instagram at beyond jujitsu underscore podcast, follow the link trees. You still probably can get an audio question submitted in time. So there'll be a link so. in the description of this episode, wherever you're listening as well. So Direct do link, so baby. if you would love to submit a question, have it played on the podcast and we will banter about it. Other than that, guys, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.